morning once again, and please be seated. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. My name is Craig, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you as we've gathered together on this Sunday morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, one quick note, I hope that uh, many of you um, are planning, if you haven't already, to gather with your life groups this weekend. We actually did our life group fellowship earlier in the weekend and had a wonderful time. I hope that you're planning to do that. I remind you that there's the, the heartbeat of our church is the way that our life groups come together, the way the Word of God comes through the sermon on Sunday mornings and is lived out in the lives of our life groups um, throughout the week. And So I hope that you've found a way to get involved in a life group, a place where you can uh, be challenged, where you can grow in relationship and find real accountability. And hopefully you guys, if you haven't already gotten together this weekend, are planning to do so before the day is over. Um, by now, hopefully, you've looked in your bulletin, you've seen that we're in the book of Mark, chapter 14. Now, we have been off and on in Mark since last year. We are going to finish our way through the book of Mark, beginning today, and we're going to actually finish up on Easter, and then we will begin a new sermon series after that in the book of 1 John, and the book of 1 John will carry us all the way into the month of August. This last part of Mark, I've titled Hope in the Darkness, because we're going to see as we work our way through these, these passages in Mark, these are some pretty dark days, uh, not only in the life of Jesus, these are dark days in the history of the world. As we look at Jesus' Jesus's betrayal by Judas, we look at Jesus' uh, mock trial, his death, his cru and, 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 and then ultimately the resurrection, but there in the midst of all that, a lot of darkness. Now, I want you to know that even in our darkest days, there is still hope to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in our darkest days, even in our hardest moments, Jesus is still alive, he is still king, and he's still seated on his throne. So as we work our way through these passages of Scripture over the course of the next several months, I hope that you'll keep in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind or maybe all over the place that as dark as the day may seem, Jesus has not stopped loving you. Jesus has not stopped reigning supreme. And Jesus has not stopped being available to you at the whisper of a prayer. He loves you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And we see that running through the course of God's Word. All right, we're in the book of Mark, chapter 14. We're going to read just two verses this morning, in verses 10 and 11. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at... Some of the darkest verses in all of your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would use these to awaken in us the need to lean upon you, Lord God. That you would show us, Father God, how the seed of Judas lives within all of us. Father, may we be drawn to you. Lord God, may we commit ourselves to you to flee temptation and sin and find rest and satisfaction in Jesus. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I've titled this sermon this morning, The Lure of Power, and I'm curious this morning, what's your plan? What is your plan? See, there's a marked difference between falling into sin and seeking out sinful opportunities. There's a marked difference between falling into sin and in seeking out sinful opportunities. You might think of it this way, there's a real difference between falling into a hole and running into a hole on purpose, right? 
Consider these two stories. First, a young man who was trying his best to avoid temptation. Bobby desperately wanted a new bicycle. His plan was to save his nickels and his dimes and his quarters until finally he had enough to buy a new 10-speed. Each night, he asked God to help him save his money. Kneeling beside his bed, Bobby prayed, Dear Lord, please help me save my money for a new bike. And please, Lord, don't let the ice cream man come down the street again tomorrow. This is a man who's working, or a young man who's working to avoid temptation. He's not seeking it out, but he's praying, Lord God, don't let it come looking for me either. And then there's Jim. Jim is an overweight businessman and decided it was time to shed some excess pounds. He took his new diet seriously, even changing his driving route to avoid his favorite bakery. One morning, however, he showed up at work with a gigantic coffee cake. Everyone in the office scolded him, but his smile remained. This is a special coffee cake, he explained. I accidentally drove by the bakery this morning, and there in the window was a host of goodies. I felt it was no accident, so I prayed, Lord, if you want me to have one of those delicious coffee cakes, let there be a parking spot open right in front. And sure enough, the eighth time around the block, there it was. Well, so I want you to know there's victory in the struggle over sin. But the reality is, often we're not struggling to overcome sin in our life. Oftentimes we're running headlong into its direction. Struggling with the sin is not the same thing as inviting sin into your life. What's the plan? Are you working to avoid sinful temptation? Or are you inviting sin and temptation into your life? As we consider this morning... The story of Judas's betrayal, what we will see is a man who had all the opportunity in the world to live a life of holiness, but who sought sinful rebellion instead. This morning we're going to look into the life of a man who spent three years in the presence of Jesus, but rather than surrendering and submitting to the will and the direction of Jesus in his life, he was able to parlay his presence with, or, or his, his position in Jesus' presence into a position where he might use his influence to gain financial reward and ultimately to sell out Jesus and his friends. Folks, when it's all said and done, we've got to make a plan. We're either going to plan to spend a life devoted to the Lord or we're going to plan to spend our lives devoted to our own sinful, selfish desires. Judas decided that his proximity to Jesus was worth nothing more than material gain. I'm curious this morning, what's your plan? Do you have a plan to pursue Jesus and to pursue holiness and relationship with Him? Or do you have a plan this morning to pursue your own self-centered desires? Now listen, I've gotten to a place where I I try to avoid the word selfish a whole lot because I know some people who are relatively self-centered that I wouldn't necessarily describe as selfish. You understand? I know people who would, would literally give me the shirt off their back if I called them and I said I needed it. But the reality is they wouldn't seek me out to see if I needed it. You know what I mean? They're not selfish so much as they just don't consider the world around them. They're focused only on what it takes to get where they want to be. So when I say this morning, a lot of you immediately run to selfish. You go, well, I'm not selfish. Just last week I gave a guy 20 bucks. I'm not talking about selfishness this morning, but self-centeredness. Have you thought to look beyond yourself and to make a plan for how it is that you may pursue Jesus rather than it is how it is that you may pursue your own 401k? 
So I want us to look at three things this morning. We try to usually do three things around here. If I get to seven or eight, the problem, why don't I preach seven or eight point sermons? Do y'all know why? It's because y'all get terrified when you walk in and you see seven or eight points in an outline. A lot of times I actually preach you a seven point sermon, but I only write down three so that y'all don't get afraid. This morning, the first thing I want you to see is that you need to be careful of the company you keep. It never occur to you that Judas gained access into the, into the company of the chief priests and the religious leaders. He gained access into the presence of Jesus' enemies. How in the world did he do that? Judas had to have some connections there. You understand? A, a fisherman just doesn't walk into the presence of the rulers and go, Hey, here I am and i got some interesting, interesting news for you. Judas had to have a way in. Judas needed to have... Uh, leverage some relationships in his own life so that he could get a hearing in front of these enemies of Jesus. Folks, let me urge you to be careful of the company that you keep. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You know, there is a certain allure to being with people of power and, and, and with people of influence. We, we've all felt it. There's a desire to be with the in crowd. But folks, I want you to be where the company you keep may keep you from Jesus. And I want to remind you adults that peer pressure didn't end when you graduated from high school. Teenagers, I'm sorry. Like we always talk to y'all about peer pressure like y'all are the only ones that are dealing with it, okay? Listen to me. You're going to graduate college and you're going to go get a job or you're going to excuse me, graduate high school and go get a job or you're going to go to college. And there's going to be this thought in your mind that, boom, suddenly I have graduated from peer pressure. And the reason you have that is because too many of the adults in your life have not been honest with you about the struggles that they have. Why do we find adults that are in you know, $200,000 worth of debt because they've given in to the peer pressure to spend all the money they need to try and look like everybody else, trying to live the life that everybody else is living, all right? Peer pressure still exists. There's, there's the pressure. Yesterday we were at a, a volleyball tournament. And uh, I ran into a parent that I know, and, and he said, so uh, um, are y'all uh, uh, playing with such-and-so team? And I said, well, no, we're, we're doing this. And, 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 and I felt it, right? Uh, you, you parents, you've all been there. I felt, well, maybe we should be with that team. Maybe, I may, may, and look, for those of you judging me, you're only judging me because you're being convicted about it right now. There's been that thought in your life as a parent that goes, maybe I'm holding my kid back, Right? I needed to call somebody on the phone and say, hey, talk sense into me because I'm being a moron right now. You know, that? no, no, but that, that peer pressure, it's there. You pull up beside that new vehicle and you look at yours and you go, oh, look at that. I remember years ago when I was, uh, before I replaced my truck, uh, I had an old 98 F-150 with 240,000 miles on it. The last thing I ever did was drive into a, a, a car dealership. I didn't. I didn't even drive. I wouldn't. I, if I drove past it, they could have caught me for speed and driving past the car dealership because I'd speed up when I went past because I knew that I could be satisfied with that thing as long as I didn't compare it to what somebody else had. You understand? Peer pressure doesn't go away. And adults, listen to me. Teenagers, listen to me. Children, listen to me. The company that you keep may keep you from Jesus. Judas sought to keep company with those who wanted to kill Jesus instead of with Jesus and his followers. Beware! Bad company can corrupt good morals. You say, but Craig, what about a missionary enterprise? 
take a deep breath before I answer this question. And I take a deep breath for this reason. If your decision to interact and convert with folks who keep far different moral standards than you do as a follower of Jesus is based primarily upon your desire to see them come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then praise Jesus. And I want you to do me a favor and find accountability with somebody who's going to help you walk that journey. You know, you, you, you feel really convicted about uh, the, the, the local ballroom dancing club and they don't have anybody there who knows Jesus and you feel like it's important that you be a part of that. I went with ballroom dancing because nobody can get mad at me about that. Um, you want to go and be a part of that and so you, you say, you know what, I, I, I want to go and join that place so that th- those people can have a Christian influence, Okay. If that's where you really feel, then here's what you need to do. You need to find two or three friends. Hopefully they're, they're in your own church and in your life group, okay? Because if we're doing church right at Malvern Hill, then our primary accountability doesn't need to come from somebody in California. There should be the people that I'm rubbing shoulders with on a regular basis who are looking me in the eye. And I'm going to go to them and I'm going to say, look, listen, I, I, I really feel strongly about this group of folks in this ballroom dancing club. And my wife and I, we're going to join it because we want to be missionaries in that group of people. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to hold me accountable for this particular thing. I I need you to, to, to call me every week or to grab me on Sunday mornings. I need you to ask me three questions. Question number one, have you shared the gospel with anybody in your ballroom dancing club or do you have a plan to share the gospel with them? Question number two, is your wife still going with you to that place or are you dancing with other women? You see what I'm saying? Like We need to be realistic about it. Okay. Question number three, has this commitment drawn you away from Jesus? Now, your questions might be slightly different, you understand, but, but there, there needs to be some real accountability right here. And, it, and if you've got real accountability, you're going to actually have people who are going to look at you and say, not just ask you the questions, they're going to say, hey, Craig, what's the name of the guy that you're trying to share Jesus with? Because I want to pray for that person. What would that look like? Well, that looked like if you were so committed to this missionary enterprise in your ballroom dancing club that you gathered with your life group on Sunday mornings and you said, last night we danced until midnight with these two couples, and these are their names. And I want you to be praying for them because we want to see them come to Jesus, and we're actually having them over to our house Tuesday night. And when we get them there, our goal is to try our best to get them to a gospel conversation. Will you pray for that? Folks, that's missionary work right there, okay? Now, let's look at the other way that we might... Y'all are grinning at me because y'all see where we're going. Let's look at the other way that we try and use our non-Christian, ungodly activities and name them missionary enterprises. You ready for this? I'm going to learn about ballroom dancing. Okay? We're, going, we're still going to stick with the ballroom dancing so y'all can just apply it to your own particular situation. I want to learn about ballroom dancing. And my ballroom dancing club costs me $18,000 a year. Okay, let's be realistic. It never costs that much. They only tell you it costs 500 but then they charge you another 100 for every competition and another 100 for the, the costumes, and then you've got to buy the special shoes. And when you're all said and done, you look back, and five years later, you spent $18,000 on ballroom dancing. All right? So I'm, but, but if I'm really going to be a good ballroom dancer, everybody else there, 
They go out for drinks before they get there, so I need to go do that too. And then if I'm really going to be good at it, well, but, but the, 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 the rea- I got a chance to be a really, like I might be a semi-pro ballroom dancer. They told me that if I get paid for the special lessons. And look, like the really good ones, they find the really good competitions. And, and, and they're, they're every Wednesday and they're every Sunday morning. And I got to go to the extra practice on Sunday night or I won't actually arrive there. And you sit with your life group for the twice a month that you were able to make it to church. Or, or the once a month because you've been borrowing. And then you go, I want you all to pray for me because I'm going to be a missionary while I'm there. I know that that's not nice what I'm saying. But I want you to understand that there's a difference. There's a difference. And we need to regularly be asking ourselves the question, is the company I keep driving me toward Jesus or away from Jesus? You say, Craig, Jesus cavorted with sinners. Absolutely he did. Yes. But why? Because Jesus wanted to bring them to him. Do you see the difference? Jesus didn't go hang out and go, I want to go be like you. Jesus said, come, be with me. Come, I will give you rest. Oh, there's a difference, believers, and we've got to make sure that we live the difference in the world around us. Don't go chase after your sinful desires and then attach Jesus on the back end and go, boom, I just became a missionary. No, you just use Jesus to justify whatever your flesh desired. Do you understand? Then there's a difference. We've got to make sure that Jesus is our aim and our purpose and our goal in life. And everything else falls under the category of pursuing Jesus. Beware that bad company can corrupt good morals. Beware that the company that we keep may drive us away from Jesus. And as a result of that, folks, we've got to make sure that we put our focus first and foremost on being with the people of God and spending time around the things of God and then allowing the opportunities and experience we have in those places to drive us out into mission, not to draw us away. Beware the allure of power. Be careful because Judas, you ready? Spent time with some good godly people and and yet Judas still found a way to invest the majority of his efforts not among the godly people around him but among those who were the enemies of Christ. Imagine Judas defending himself to John and James when he snuck off to go hang out with them. Y'all, they need me there because they need a Christian. They need a godly influence. Judas, do you really need to be hanging out with with those people? They need me. Judas, we got something to do today. I I know, but look here. I I can make a difference right there. Three years later, after he's stolen everything he could find, where's Judas? Right in the back pocket. Putting Jesus to death. Beware, good company can corrupt. Bad company can corrupt. Good Good morals. Be careful of the company you keep. Don't leave here and say, Craig said we shouldn't be missionaries. That is not what I said. Instead, I want you to leave here and be reminded that what Craig said is we need to go seek and save the lost. We can only do that when we're coming from a place of godliness, our our Christian conviction driving us out. So be careful. Number two, run from the love of money and power. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, according to 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Jesus warned the disciples in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
Folks, we cannot and we must not discuss Judas's betrayal of Jesus without discussing the dangers of materialism and wealth. We cannot and we must not. See, if we're not careful, because the reality is, then we start talking about money, we get right into the thing that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Because I don't really like it if you come to me and tell me how to spend my money. Okay? And you don't like it if I go to you and tell you. So it's easier for us to sort of take this Judas story, spiritualize it, run right over the fact that there's a monetary motive involved here and just go, well, Judas just, just well, it, it was decreed from the end that Judas would betray and there's a spiritual issue. No, there's a whole lot of things going on right here and we cannot divorce Judas's betrayal of Jesus from Judas's love for money. You say, Craig, can you extrapolate that from that one verse? Well, I think I can, but even if you don't like that, we can run to John chapter 12, verse 6. And there we learn that Judas didn't care about the poor, because, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Right there, we got it. Boom! Judas loved money. And because Judas loved money, Judas was willing to do whatever he had to do to make enough money to help him hopefully have the power that came along with it. See, the reality is most people, there's some people, okay? There's some people who just like money for whatever strange reason. I don't know. Most people like money for what money allows them to have and do and be. Money is tied to power. And if I got enough money, then I can do whatever I want to do. You know, we hear people talk about it all the time. Well, if I hit the lottery, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk in and tell that boss what he can do, and I'm leaving. Why? Because the thought is that if you had all the money in the world, then suddenly you'd have all the power to do whatever in the world you wanted to do. Money and power go hand in hand, and we've got to beware. We've got to beware the love of money and power. We've got to run away from it. Folks, do you want to avoid the allure of power? Do you want to flee the temptation that would take you from Jesus? You've got to run from the love of money and power. How do you do that? The greatest way to do that is to do the exact opposite of what Judas did. Judas saw people giving to the poor, and Judas stuck his hand in and stuck it in his pocket, didn't he? Folks, do you want to combat the love of money in your own life? The best way to do that is by giving stuff away. The best way to do it is by being generous. Are you tithing? Are you being generous with your finance? The best way to combat the love of money is to show that, show that money... Like, hey, money, you have no power over me. How do I know that that money has no power over me? When I can give it away and not even worry about where it goes. What does that mean? That means I can give that $100 away and I don't even ask another question about who took it or what they did with it. I don't need to go and ask you how you spent it because it's not my money. It was done. When I put it in your hand, I let go of it. I'm not attached to it. It has no power over me. I'm giving it away. And I'm watching whatever may come with it. I'm going to send it out and pray the Lord would use it to bless somebody. Folks, instead of sending the money out and praying the Lord would use it to bless somebody, Judas is sticking his hand in and putting it back in his pocket going, I can do more good with it myself. And isn't it true that the more money you have, the more control it has over you? The craziest thing? I'm far from wealthy. But at the same time, I can remember not being as financially comfortable as I am today. And yet I know that in those years when when financial comfort was was more scarce than it is today, I I seem to be less stressed over my finances than I can be right now. I saw some of you grin because you know it's true. You're sitting in the bank and you're looking at it stack up in your retirement account, and when you didn't have anything, you didn't worry about it. But now that that retirement account has grown, you keep going, what happens if I make a wrong choice? 
This coronavirus got you scared to death because you watch the stock market start dipping and you go, oh my goodness, where are my dollars going? And I need to remind some of you that it ain't been but just a few years ago when you didn't have any dollars and you didn't let it worry you. Now that you got it, why does it control you? Do you own it or does it own you? Beware the love of money because the love of money, if we're not careful, can cause us to sell out everything else. Judas sold out his Savior, or his potential Savior, I should say. He sold out his friends. He sold out the world so that he could line his pockets with 30 pieces of silver. You know what you might try to do if you suspect that maybe money has a greater hold on you than it should? Pray about, consider making an overly generous gift. One that you're not 100% sure is right within your budget. Just consider that. Figure out where you're going to give it. Find a way. Maybe you give to an individual. Maybe you give to your church or another organization. But, but write a check. You know? You look around and you go, I, I, I've never, ever written a check to the church for larger than $400. And, and, and you begin to think about what it might look like to be more generous. And instead of feeling excited about it, you sort of feel that pit in your stomach. I, what would I do if I did that? Maybe the best way, let me, not, let me not say maybe, let me tell you, I know from experience that the best way that you can combat some of those things in your life is to write a check bigger than you've written before. See, a check that's big enough that you feel good about it. See, there's a difference. There's a check that you can write that you feel bad about. Then there's a check that you can write that's large enough, and those things are proportional to your own income, large enough that you're able to feel good about it. You write that check, and then you step back and you have a sense of pride to say, I was able to do that. And you begin to pry loose that hold that money has on your heart. We just moved into a house and um, you know, a few, few things along the way that we've, we've had to do. There's, there's a shop and um, there's some, uh, I'm, I'm trying to arrange things and slowly but surely, but get some things the way you want them. And uh, uh, at, at some point, somebody had driven some nails into the wall to hang some things on, and they're in the way of the, the shelves that I need to put up. And I, I don't exactly know how they drove these nails in. I mean, they look like railroad spikes. I'm not exactly sure what to put them in with. Um, and, uh, but somebody drove in some you know, huge nails into the wall, and here I am uh, the, the other week trying to get some of those out so that I could so that I could move or rearrange some shelving and stuff. There are two that I actually just cut off with a sawzall. I could not get them to budge. I, 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 I still don't know. I mean, I, I, I just kept getting longer pry bars, and they still wouldn't move. I figured I was going to knock an eye out, so I just cut them off and be done with it. Oh, for some of you, the love of money is in there so tight. It has the control and a hold on you, not and, and, and it controls every decision you make. It makes you fearful. It makes you worried. And that love of money, it, it, it manifests itself in some pretty ugly things. It can make you a really terrible spouse. Because your love of money causes you to not be generous even with your own spouse. And they say, well, well why won't you do it? Because I, I'm afraid that if we spend this, then that might happen. How do you move past it? Well, you don't do what Judas did and keep sticking your hand down in the pocket and put down into the bag and put more in your pocket. Instead, you start giving it away. 
you start letting go of it, you'll discover that as you give it away, God does an amazing thing. He gives you a heart for the people that you might be able to impact. He gives you a heart for the organization you might be able to impact. He gives you a heart for the kingdom of God that you might be able to impact with the dollars that you have. And what he does is he begins to free you from the fear that you have. Because it's a fear, and fear is not of the Lord. He begins to free you from the fear that you have. He begins to free you from the hold that money has over you. And you begin to find your security not in a bank account. You begin to find your security in Christ who holds you close. Run from the love of money. Run from it. It's intoxicating. you got to get away because once it gets a hold, it's tough to get free from. And then finally this morning... Or thirdly this morning, I should say, seek opportunities to be with Jesus. One of the most terrifying aspects of this biblical account is the fact that Judas had spent three years with Jesus. Three years. He had been in the presence of Jesus many times and was trusted by the disciples, but apparently being in the presence of Jesus was not the same thing as being with Jesus. Jesus. Instead of being with Jesus, instead of desiring to be with Jesus during the Passover, Judas sought to betray Jesus. Now in the Greek, we don't get any kind of fancy thing that helps us to see that, but I, this week I've just been overtaken by the fact that instead of being with, he sought to betray. You got that same beginning right there, and he could either be with or he could betray, and he just chose to betray Jesus. How often have we sought to betray our Lord rather than to be with our Lord? You see, you can be in the presence of Jesus and not be with Jesus. I spent part of this week getting away for a little spiritual retreat. It was, it was really great. I'm, I'm so grateful that uh, you all allow me to, to do those things. And our staff covers things here. And I'm, I'm thankful to have a wife who, you know, tends, tends to the kids for a couple days so I can get away and spend some time with the Lord and work on sermons and things. But um, on my way out to, to Lake Greenwood, which is where I spent a couple days, I stopped by Presbyterian College, my alma mater, and I bought a cup of coffee. And uh, I had a book I was working through, and I, I took my, my cup of coffee and my book, and I went and sat on a, on a bench outside the library in the sunshine to read for a little while. And uh, I walk, I, before I did that, I, I kind of walked around, saw some of the changes on the campus. But I, I sat down just to read for a few minutes before I, I went on to the lake. Uh, and as I sat down there, 40 or 50 students walked past me, but only four or five noticed me. That's what really jumped out at me in my few minutes there. They couldn't see me because they had their faces in their phone. Yesterday at a volleyball tournament, we had this large gym, and, um, and, and I walked laps. Angela and I, in between games, I, I, I'm going nuts. I'm just sitting on the floor, like kids everywhere. It's, ugh. So we get up and we go for a walk, go walk outside, I, you know, walk to the bathroom, walk past the concession stand and smell it. I, I resisted the temptation to buy all the cheese nachos that they had. But as I walk laps around, there's 500, 500 little girls playing volleyball, well, teenage girls, I guess, and parents and everything. You know, I didn't see anybody. Or well, let me back up. I, hardly anybody saw me because every time I walked around, I saw this. See, we were in the vicinity of one another, but we weren't in the presence of one another. We were in the vicinity of one another, but we weren't spending time with one another. The same possibility exists for you and for your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may spend years 
in and around Jesus and never spend one moment with Jesus. Because see, it's not just everybody else, is it? Angela and I got home after our 47-hour debacle of a volleyball tournament yesterday. There's only 24 hours in a day, I know, but trust me, the time is multiplied in those little gyms. We got all the children to bed, which takes another 12 hours. We tuck them all in. We give them all their kisses. We say all the prayers. We do all the right things. Angela made the coffee. I, I did something else. I don't remember what. We, we did several things, and then we, we eventually migrate into the den. And we sat down just like this. You see what I did? I messed up. So I started sending Angela text messages. <laughs> she was beside me. And we spent 10 minutes texting each other. Like we're 12. I don't know. We were sending gifs though. So it was amazing. It was so funny. Because I'm so funny and she struggles so hard with it. I think that's what I felt about it. I don't know if it's true. Yesterday, I saw my two kids and another kid sit down beside, my two little ones and another kid sit down beside one another. And they started off right. They had this little iPad and they were watching a movie together. But, but about three minutes in, I don't even know how it happened. They had, they had gone and stolen devices, I guess. I'm not sure how they attracted all these things, but I look back and all of a sudden, I've got three little kids and they're all sitting beside one another, sitting in their own little device. They were beside one another, but they weren't with each other. You understand? Oh, it's scary to consider that Judas could spend three, week, three years with Jesus and never know Jesus. Oh, there's a temptation to want to be identified with Jesus for what Jesus can give us in this life. But are you willing to be with Jesus for who Jesus is. See, there's an allure of power that I could leverage. I could leverage Jesus for something that I want to have in this world. But then there's a reality of discipleship. That coming to Jesus means what? Taking up my cross, denying myself, and following after Him. See, the reality is Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He never said, I will give you power, I will give you money, I will give you wealth, I will give you health. He said, I will give you rest. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The only thing he promised us is himself. And yet there's the temptation the very real possibility that we could spend our entire lives around Him and never have Him. So this morning I ask you, what's your plan? See, the reality is a whole lot of people don't ever, actually ever fall into temptation or fall into sin. A whole lot of people aren't like little Bobby who prayed that the ice cream truck wouldn't come his way. A whole lot of people are more like Jim, who keeps driving circles around this life, looking for a way, a parking place in our sinful desires, rather than driving toward Jesus.
What about you? What's your plan? What's your plan today? Do you have a plan to grow with Jesus? Do you have a plan, a desire to know the Lord, to be in relationship with Him? Just last night I got a text from a pastor friend looking for discipleship materials for a couple who were unsaved but open to Jesus. It's a complicated, complex relationship that he described to me with a couple who's far from the Lord. And, and, and there's all these, you, you know how it is, right? Like life's messy. We, we sort of, we Christian people, especially people like me, we grew up in the church and you sort of tend to believe that everything's sort of black and white and you just fit in. But, but the reality is that the black and the white, and, and it all gets mixed up in the, in the gray matter. And it described for me a relationship that, man, it, he had to describe it because he couldn't give me a two-word definition. You understand how those things work? And there's all sorts of pain and hurt and everything interwoven in the middle. And he said, do you, do you have anything? Because here's what he knew. He knew that these people wouldn't accidentally find a relationship with Jesus. That's what he knew. He knew that he needed to have a plan to help them navigate through Scripture. He needed to have a plan to help them navigate the very complicated reality of their relationship. He needed to have a plan for how it is that they would get plugged in and involved and growing as a part of his church. There needed to be a plan. And folks, there's got to be a plan in your life. You won't accidentally find a relationship with Jesus. You won't accidentally grow in godliness. And I'm going to tell you this. If you'll find yourself in the company of Jesus, and if you will be careful of the company you keep outside of Jesus, if you will run from the love of power and money, and if you will seek out opportunities not just to be around Jesus, but to be with Jesus, if you'll put away the distractions, if you'll put away all the other things, and if you'll stop doing this around Jesus and start doing this, you may just discover that in that place, there's actually real relationship for you. There's an opportunity. Judas spent three years around Jesus and now spends an eternity separated from him because of his sin. The scariest thing for me as a pastor is to recognize that there are people that may sit under the preaching of my voice week in and week out. Thirteen years, I'll celebrate in May as the pastor at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. That there could potentially be people who have heard the gospel preached thirteen years from this pulpit and yet somehow find a way to love their sin more than to love Jesus. And the only relationship with Jesus you'd ever have is to have spent time around Him among His people because you'll spend eternity separated from Him. Do you have a plan to live for you or to live for Jesus? I didn't ask if you're selfish, remember? We made that clarification earlier. No, 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 no. Who are you living for today? Where are you headed? This morning, I'd invite you to come as we stand in a moment just to sing. We're going to sing No Longer Slaves. Can I just be honest with you? Some of you enjoy your enslavement to sin, and today needs to be the day that you say, God, I don't know how I'm going to walk away from this, but Lord, I know that the path I'm headed down will lead me straight to hell, and today I want to be with you. God, I don't know how to pull this off, some of you have got so much 
deep-seated sin in your life that it's like those nails that I just couldn't get to budge from the wall in my house. You've tried your best to pull them out and it won't move and you're going to come and you're going to say, Jesus, I don't know, but I need you to excise this sin from my life. God, I don't really even want to let go of this sin. God, I actually love this sin. God, I enjoy this sin. But Lord God, I know that it's going to lead me straight to hell. And Lord God, I'm coming to you today. And I don't know how you can do it, but God, would you make me hate the things that I love and cause me to love the thing that I haven't loved? Lord God, would you give me a hope and a future in you? You say, Craig, is that possible? Absolutely, because that's the power the gospel of Jesus Christ. He takes the dead and he brings them to life. He makes the old new and he'll take your old heart of stone that you can't pry the sin out of and he'll give you a heart of flesh and he's able to work in that heart of flesh and to cut out the sin and to give you hope and joy and eternal salvation. We're going to stand and we're going to sing and as we sing, I want to invite you today if you want the Lord, if you want Jesus Christ to set you free, from the sin that has entangled you and that has held you in bondage. Would you come today so that we can show you how you may find hope in Jesus? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory because you are the King. Lord, you are the Savior. And Father, there is no sin that is so strong that it can keep you, Lord God, from setting us free. So I come to you today, Lord God, Lord, we celebrate that you can set us free from the bondage and slavery of sin. And I pray, Lord God, that you would draw people unto yourself. Father God, that you would give somebody this morning the courage to step out of their sin and step into Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing. You unravel me with a melody you surround me with